politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here at Blaze Media Central Command here in Central Maryland, fighting for liberty in our way of life, our survival, as always. And as I've mentioned before, liberty in its most basic form really speaks to two issues that we're confronted with. Obviously, there's the right to move unrestricted bodily integrity on unmolested by government. That's the obvious one. But there's also your right to move unrestricted without fear of another citizen harming you. And that's crime. At its bare, basic foundation, that is why we have government at all. To protect us from anarchy, from people who would harm us. That's, that's why we have it. Well, a year ago today, May 26, is when the rioting began after the George Floyd incident. And our government established a rule that if you are rioting for the right cause and of the right ilk, then that basic job of government no longer applies. And they let the rioting go on and on and on. And it is truly hard to calculate the cost to society in terms of lives, fiscal damage, but really, more importantly, our culture. Like any blood libel, blood libels matter, burn, loot, and murder, BLM projected on others what they themselves were doing, and that is systemic racism. They charted a course towards systemic racism against whites, which really existed my entire lifetime. We all know that with affirmative action, um, all sorts of things in culture, politics, and law. It was just brought out in the open, and now it's just they're openly doing it. And that was okay. But what we often forget about is the crime wave. Not just from the rioting itself but from this notion that policing, but not just policing, incarceration of bad people is unjust, especially because a lot of them happen to be black perpetrators, so they made it racial, and that put a capstone on really this 10-year drive from both rotten political parties and 90% of those who get funding in the conservative movement This notion that somehow we have an over-incarceration problem. That somehow our system is too tough on criminals. Too zealous in pursuit of justice. When in reality, we were never strong enough. And after 10 years of jailbreak policies in place, we're a living hell. We're going to talk about people like Sarah Jane Jemison. Jamison today. It's funny watching George Floyd's family getting wined and dined at the White House. Minnesota's Education Commissioner said yesterday that George Floyd's life was cut short due to systemic racism. It's like they're shocked at how a life could be cut short. Wow, when have we ever seen that? Lives being cut short. Mind you, in this case, the evidence points to the fact that 
it's really unlikely he would have survived whether Derek Chauvin got involved or not. He killed himself. But of course, evidentiary standards were flipped on its head. I'm like thinking, wow, lives cut short. Well, thanks to BLM, there have been thousands of lives cut short, mainly black, this past year from excess homicides. But really, thanks to decades of weak on crime policy accelerating in recent years, there have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of victims who had their lives cut short because government failed to do its job. Because we've moved away from our founding values where they would hang these guys immediately when they would kill someone. The people in the community would take care of other violent criminals, the few that they had, and they had few because they deterred it, also because you didn't have the cultural collapse. And these people are of all races. But believe me, to the extent you could find a black person's life being cut short by, by a white person, boy, oh boy, is it more prevalent, exponentially so, the other way around. Now, with today's show, you're going to want to make sure you're defended. And you know how to defend yourself. That's why I recommend for dry fire practice, iTarget Pro. Um, basically, you have a situation now where we need guns and ammo more than ever. We need training more than ever. That's why we have our front site, tripconstitutioncoach.com. But also, you need to practice. You're only as good as your last 50% of your last training. Okay, that's you'll be 50% as effective as your last training. Well, with ammo so expensive, it is very hard to properly train. That's why I got for myself iTarget Pro. It's a laser bullet that fits in your firearm, comes in all calibers. You know, it could be for 9mm, 45, 223, um, you know, rifle rounds, uh, whatever you have to stay sharp with dry fire practice. You could download their propriety app where basically you could, um, for an extra two bucks, you could draw shoot. It times your shots, it tracks them. You have your iPhone. Um, focused on the target, and then it, it it's really very perfect. Um, and it's a lot of fun. You can do it at home. You obviously have to do it safely. Make sure you have no ammo around um, when you're doing it, uh, and always aim in a safe direction that you would not mind shooting. Today, you could save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code CR if you go to itargetpro.com. Again, that's the letter I, Target pro.com offer code CR for 10% off make sure you are on target now folks I want to start today with 15 year old Sarah Jane Jemison like many people that were thrown away like trash buried or without a burial they lost their lives at the hands of a perpetrator. No one ever heard of her. Thousands, there's thousands upon thousands of people like her. And thousands upon thousands who have not gotten full justice for what had been done to them. When I say justice, I mean both the punishment to that perpetrator, but also an effort to actually ensure this doesn't happen again. Just like they're saying with George Floyd, you have to make sure the police don't do that again. 
but we should make sure we have a deterrent in place that people don't get killed again. You see, Sarah Jane Jemison was 15 years old when she was murdered at the hands of Gregory Joyner in Lynchburg on May 5th, 1988. 1988. But she's going to be 15 years old forever. Her parents never got to see her graduation, her get married, have children. Her life was cut short. So no one ever heard of her. She doesn't have an advocacy today to um, get justice. She doesn't have anyone to feel bad for her because there's nothing to feel bad because she's not around. She doesn't have Kim Kardashian's big fat rear end or, unfortunately, Jared Kushner's Trump people from Jerome Smith and Brooke Rollins and all these hucksters and phony conservatives that try to audit every last criminal to see who they can let out rather than auditing every last victim of crime to see who has not gotten justice. The guy who murdered her, Gregory Joyner, was either 16 or 17 at the time. And he raped her and then strangled her and buried her body um, somewhere in the woods in a shallow grave. Or it wasn't even a shallow grave, just covered it with leaves or something. Body decomposed. They didn't find it till two weeks later. He eventually confessed, but they didn't have enough evidence on the rape, so they only convicted him on attempted rape. So he got life for the murder, and 10 years, life plus 10 years, was his sentence. Now, in common core math that we have nowadays, life plus 10 years equals about 30 years. You see, you're hearing on the news a lot, there's a trend throughout the country that, you know, first-time, nonviolent, low-level offenders, such as people that brutally rape and murder children, you know, people like that, they're getting out now. Well, Daniel, they're very old. Well, interestingly enough, in Virginia, Governor Ralph Northam, may God pay him back for his deeds, he has appointed this parole board, members this five-person parole board, that are letting out one person after another. Just for COVID alone last March, they gave clemency to 90 people, 35 of them uh, convicted murderers, some of the most heinous murders you'll ever imagine, cop killers, all sorts of things. They're just being released. Now, this guy, again, he was 16, 17 or so when he was convicted, wound up serving like 31 or 32 years, and he was released on April 2nd. I meant to talk about it at the time. I didn't have a chance. He was released. He's on supervised release in Petersburg. Family was notified. They gave a victim impact statement. They didn't listen to them. They let him go. Do you know that this guy is only 49 years old? Okay, so he has half his life in front of him, potentially. While, of course, Sarah's life was cut short. And again, there's nothing unique, sadly, about this story. I I could... I could do shows on this every day and never exhaust these cases. Endless cases like this. He was up for parole in 2017 and 2019, every two years. And they they noted that, quote, his extensive 
criminal record, history of violence, and release at the time would diminish the serious nature of his offense. But then Ralph Northam remade the parole board, so now him and many people like him are being released. And this is happening in many, many states all over the country now. All over the country. The entire effort from Reagan to get truth in sentencing is out the window. If you don't get life without parole, parole is not the exception, it's the rule. Good time credits aren't the exception, they're the rule. Now, obviously, a guy like this should have gotten capital punishment. But he was a juvenile at the time. Now, we were doing executions then. But, you know, he wound up getting off. I think they felt because they couldn't, they, they knew he, he, he the medical examiner, examiner said she was raped. But because they couldn't prove it and the conviction was only on attempted rape, somehow you would have needed the rape plus the murder to convince the jury. The murder wasn't enough. So that in itself is a big problem here. It's a big lesson. That these people need any murder should get capital punishment. Any clear-cut murder such as this that was either premeditated or just vicious and you know was totally done to kill the person, strangle a girl to death, it's a no-brainer from biblical law, American, you know, British common law, American founding law, should have gotten the death penalty. What, what people realize is, people don't realize, this problem of cascading leniency starts from the very top. The people that should be getting the death penalty are getting life. And now life doesn't mean life anymore because they're reopening all these cases and giving them parole. And then it just goes downhill from there. Do you know that since the Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in 1976... I counted there were over 800,000 homicides in this country. Do you know that just about 1,500 people, 50 years worth, 1,500 people out of over 800,000 have been executed? That's it. Okay, 1,500 people. Um, Now, again, it's not that we had over 800,000 suspects or convictions. Those are the number of murders. So, I mean, it's let's say it's half of that, but the point is a very small percentage. And I, and I do mention the, the total denominator because there's this notion that somehow we have an over-incarceration problem. But what people forget is that as a nation, okay, this is 2018 F- FBI data. I could probably get a year later, but, you know, it's roughly the same every year. Only 45% of violent crimes and 17% of property crimes are cleared. It's called the clearance rate. A clearance is the case is cleared by an arrest or exceptional means. That doesn't mean the guy was convicted. It doesn't mean he served the proper time. That's an infinitesimal percentage. I'm just saying... Even cases that result in an arrest, it's less than half of all violent crime. Recently, murders have been a little higher. Well, like 62% clearance, 52% for aggravated assault, only 33% for rape, and only 30% for robbery were cleared. Only 18% of larceny theft, 13.9% of burglary, 
13.8% of motor vehicle, and 22.4% of arson. You look at some of these raw numbers every year, if you if you factor in, you know, 50% or 70% of some of these categories not being cleared, that's hundreds of thousands of crimes that never even result in arrest. So when they tell you we're over-incarcerating, dude, if you would just merely get the people who commit the violent crimes, if you were able to get the universe of people to do it, now I understand there's a lot of multiples and a lot of people we ultimately wind up getting on other things committed some of these things, but still, there's tons of other people that anyone's view of justice should say, like, you want to, look, we want to get 100% clearance rate, right? I mean, shouldn't we all agree that you would want to catch 100% and arrest and convict 100% of the robbers, murderers, rapists, and, you know, people um, beating people up on the streets, right? I mean, we should all agree to that. I know we don't. If you merely did that, do you know how many people that would rope in? We have a hell of a violent crime culture in this country. So don't give me there's an over-incarceration problem. We're not even getting more than half the people. And then, folks, if you arrest the guy and he pleads down and gets anger management, that is a cleared case. If it's a guy who brutally rapes someone, but for whatever reason he gets one or two years and then gets half of that lopped off for good time credits, that's a cleared case. So this is my point here, folks. When I say we have a massive under-incarceration problem, but certainly you see with the death penalty. So you have this whole pool of murderers that are in prison, and you have Kim Kardashian and billions of dollars of right-leaning groups, by the way, joining left-leaning groups, trying to agitate to release as many as they can. Oh, they have so many sob stories. Nobody's ever advocating for the victims who never got justice, got under justice, have to go every two years to, you know, relive the experience to ensure the guy doesn't get let out and increasingly they are getting let out. Like with this family. Now, before I go on, I want to bring in our uh, other sponsor today, Liberty Estate Plans. One of our listeners, Andre Ong, he actually is our Missouri Liberty Strike Force team leader, doing a great job there. We're going to do great things in Missouri. But he is an estate planner and folks with government going after everything you own. You want to make sure you set up a castle and a moat to give ironclad protection to your estate. Um, He's going to help you keep your estate private, out of reach from Medicaid, probate, and give you control now after you pass away. Each plan is customized for your unique situation. Um, They don't just fill out stock forms. You'll pay a one-time fee but you'll receive as much time as you want with him. They'll prepare everything for you, walk you through the whole process, even be there to make changes when you need them because they're constantly changing laws. Um, or if you already have an estate plan but want to make sure that you know you have the most cost-effective one, give him a call. Go to libertyestateplans.com. That's libertyestateplans.com. Schedule your free consultation and tell him Daniel sent you. will give you 20% off. Uh, talk with him about politics, about what's going on. Very smart guy. Again, Andre Ong of LibertyEstatePlans.com. 
um, one of our partners here and a terrific, terrific patriot. So, folks, back to this um, case of Sarah Jamison and and uh, Gregory Joyner being released, her murderer. The father, Dell Jamison, he made an important statement. He said, when Joyner murdered Sarah, it was for life. Why should he be released only after serving part of his life? His sentence was for punishment, not rehabilitation. Therefore, he still has 30 or 40 years left on his sentence. And um, the city attorney, prosecutor of Lynchburg, Bethany Harrison, said, as a matter of fact, I read through the transcripts of his interviews with police officers from the late 80s. He said he doesn't feel remorse or emotion or sadness like normal people. It really was quite chilling to go back and read those transcripts. And, and that's the thing. A lot of these um, parole hearings, first of all, it doesn't take much to say you have remorse. That's BS. But they don't even say it, and they don't even need to. It's just more about, It's all about them. Look at how prison is impacting me. Don't you feel bad for me? And he's not even like 80, 90. He's 49. So they're, they're down to middle age now. But that's the thing, folks. 1,500 capital punishments. We used to be executing, you know, some years, 100 in the 90s. That was the peak of it. Recent years, it's been down to about 20, 25 a year, and half of them are in Texas. And then last year, it almost ground to a halt. And th this year, literally, there was just one person in the first four and a half months of the year executed in Texas. So we have essentially abolished it. And then even when we have it, in 1984, the duration between sentencing and death was six years. Now the average, according to Bureau of Justice Statistics as of 2017, was 20 years. And now, really, it's, it's, it's much longer than that. That needs to change. There needs to be a campaign on that because the point is, right off the bat, an eye for an eye. Right off the bat, you murder someone, you got the evidence for it. Again, some cases they have to plead down and whatever, you're not going to be able to do it. But where you can, all of them should get the capital punishment and it should be within a few years. Really, at the time of our founding, it was within weeks. You have your trial, you have your appeal, and I don't care. You know, oh, we, we don't have enough resources, so then you know what? When we're bankrupting our country on $10 trillion a year with who knows what, you know what? We need to spend money on public safety. We need to spend more money on the court system, expedite these trials, because that's also an excuse given to, to let these guys out pre-trial, but then they don't have their trial forever and go out and victimize 100 other times and don't get locked up again. But these are the stories that happen every day. Every day. Then you have the other issue. And, and again, I could go through tons of victims' statements. And look, if you know anyone, um, if you want to come on the show and talk about this, I, you know, I am planning on having some victims of crime on just to talk about their stories because nobody is an advocate for them. Let me know. You could email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. But the story I mentioned yesterday about this guy who was a former pastor of all things, convicted on this horrific uh, child rape and is believed to have done it to multiple kids. 
And I was noting he only got 15 years, and then he was out after five years of prison plus two and a half years of jail. And I did talk to some sources in Alabama. It does turn out that the sentence initially was lower because the victim really didn't cooperate for whatever reason. You know, just maybe, you know, sometimes you have that if someone's an adult, but they, you know, they were abused as a child. They just don't want to testify. I understand that. That's, you know, but what is for sure is even in the 15 years, even in a state like Alabama, how the hell does he get off with 50% time off? And the answer is because we don't have truth in sentencing. So even the already reduced sentencing is a joke because good time credits, see, good, I would abolish good time credits, or if you had it, it would be a very limited circumstance. It would be when you look at a totality of circumstances, it makes sense given the crime. You know, let's say, I don't know, a guy did like public vandalism or something. There wasn't like a particular victim. So you don't have justice for that victim. And you're like, all right, you know, they paid a certain debt. There's one thing, they were really good. But all this means is the standard is they get it until it's taken away. And then even when it's taken away, they give it back to them. After all, you're incarcerated. How much trouble could you do and even the ones that do cause problems in jail they get it anyway so when you hear a certain sentence you automatically have to lop lop off 50 percent. it's a complete joke this is an action item in all of our liberty strike force teams in all the red states we need to push for we need to severely limit or abolish good time credits sentence the guy to what you want him to be sentenced to that that has no bearings on it yeah, well, what's he going to do in prison? Molest another child there? I mean, he can't. So what, you lop off half the sentence? Again, there is not a single state where we have justice in this country. Not one. Not one. But we have the inmates running the asylum. You know, there's a story out of uh, Rochester, I believe, or no, Ithaca, New York. This is from two months ago. A convicted murderer of a New York City police officer is now a member of Ithaca's police reform board. You hear a lot of these places, I know they did in Baltimore, adopting these boards that basically have power over police. They literally put criminals in charge of it. Richard Rivera was 16 years old when he shot and killed execution style an off-duty police officer in 1981. The officer Robert Walsh was a father of four. After spending 39 years in prison, the now 57-year-old Rivera is helping shape Ithaca's police reform. You cannot... You, you, you cannot imagine how evil our governments have become. We need to start speaking up. What I want, what I'm going to want all you guys to do is in your respective states... We're going to have a team on crime, and you're going to monitor the arrest records You know, every few weeks and follow up. When you see an egregious case, follow up with it a few months later and see what happens and start exposing this and shaming and naming the lawyers, the defense lawyers. If it's a prosecutor acting like a defense attorney, if it's a judge, we need to create a voice for victims of crime. You know, there's this whole thing about back the blue, but more than being pro-police, I'm really more about being pro-victims of crime. That That's where I think we need to have our focus. 
So you look one after another, and we have a leaky system where you have the most violent people that there's no way to take them off the streets. I mean, folks, think think about it. Dylan Roof. Okay, Dylan Roof. He's the guy that shot, um, you know, and I, I only mention him because he shot up a black church, killed nine people. So you would think, like, okay, that, you know, at least, you know, from that standpoint, uh, they'd want to kill him. He was originally sentenced to death, but he wound up overturning it. So now it's life in prison instead. He's only in his 20s, so we'll have to pay for him for the rest of his life. Now, again, given the nature of what he did because of the racial stuff, you know, because only certain colors of skin matter to our political and legal system, I doubt he'll ever get out. But other people, when the shoe's on the other foot, they will. And indeed, by the way, you know, again, to me, it doesn't have any bearings on it. But, you know, they mention whenever a black man gets killed at the hands of someone who happens to be white, regardless of the facts, and regardless of whether there's ever, ever any ev- evidence that it was racially motivated, they make it about race. And that was the whole Floyd thing. It was built on a lie. I mean, no matter what, it had nothing to do with race. There's no evidence. Just by the way, the case I mentioned to you in Virginia from 1988, Joyner, the um, convict, is black, and the victim was was white. I'm just going to tell you, there's a whole hell of a lot more of that than the other way around. But because we don't make that a big deal all the time, because we don't, that's not really the point. I just want the the perpetrator to fry. I don't care about the race. But because we don't, it doesn't get etched in the consciousness of the public of another black man viciously, you know, rapes and beats a white girl to death. And, you know, no, you know, you don't hear about that. So it doesn't create this frenzy like they, they do on the other side. But if you would actually look at the facts, you'd see that, no, it's much more common the other way around. And, you know, there's no evidence in this case it had anything to do with race. I don't think it did. Um, but there are times it does much more often than the other way around. And no one ever makes a big deal out of it. But you have all these people that are just like, you know, whatever. There's there's all sorts of, I mean, even the white supremacist neo-Nazi types. Full proof and, and witnesses, they never, they, they spend forever. You know the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter, Gregory Bowers from, what was that, uh, was a couple of years ago? He killed 11, injured 7. Right, I mean, it's a black and white case. The evidence is clear. There's nothing, you know, there. Um, you know, it, it's going to take forever. That guy's going to be around for 20, 30 years if, if, if he'll ever get the death penalty. And by the way, when he, for all of his talk about wanting to die, when the SWAT team came in, he crawled into a hiding space to surrender rather than taking his own life. So clearly, he didn't want to die. And most of them don't. Some do, most of them don't. You'd be surprised how cowardly they are. If they knew they would fry six months later, you can't tell me over time that wouldn't be a deterrent. I love how they like debate deterrent of the death penalty when we never really had it quickly enough and commonly enough to serve as a deterrent. And certainly now it's gone. 
So that's with that. So again, the two action items we have so far, ending or severely limiting good time credits, and we need to find ways to expedite and bring back the death penalty. It's what is always just. It's what would bring a deterrent. And more importantly, nowadays, it would ensure that these people don't get out. Then there's another big problem in this country when we talk about crime, and that's violence against women. You know, it's funny. The left makes such a big deal out of, like, every man's a rapist or, you know, take, you know the Violence Against Women Act, which has a whole bunch of garbage, takes away due process. But the truth be told, there actually really is a problem in this country. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the culture and the porn and this, where people think that they could just whatever. Um, the, I mean, the, the number of rapes that go underreported, it's it's truly shocking. And, and the, the little punishment there is, the way to deal with it is not cutting out due process and treating every man like a like a criminal but where there is due process, severely toughening the sentencing and the punishment. And one of the big problems we have in this country is with women who have abusive ex-boyfriends, ex-husbands that stalk them, and, and this is a known problem, <clears throat> they, uh, you know, the, the idea of a protective order is it's supposed to have teeth in it that you know, the guy's, like, threatening, getting in her face, stalking, and it's hard to get evidence sometimes. So the idea of a restraining order is that, look, I don't care what you did or didn't do and you threaten, it's hard to prove, but you can't get within a certain, you know, space of that of, of, of the woman. So that alone is a lot easier to prove. So once we see you doing that, we're going to lock you up. But we don't. It's the same thing whether it's violating a, a restraining order, violating parole, violating probation, felony possession of guns. We don't enforce it. So I want to bring to your attention two stories. One in New York, but one in Texas. In Texas, we have this problem. Texas mom, this is New York Post, one of the only publications that focuses on victims of crime. Texas mom shot dead in front of her children while taking them to school. 28-year-old San Antonio woman was shot dead in front of her three children as she got ready to drive them to school. Um, she had been loading up the kids ages 2, 6, and 10 into the car when she was ambushed, according to KSAT. The 30-year-old suspected shooter, who investigators are relatively certain was the woman's estranged husband, was found at the home nearby. Um... The estranged husband, who was out on bond at the time of the shooting, had violated a protective order multiple times. So he's out on bail for one crime, violated the protective order, and she was shot dead. I cannot tell you how often these stories come about. I've always said Republicans were stupid for not grabbing the gun violence issue and shoving it down the left's throat. They're like, gun violence. We should be like, yeah, gun violence. Let's arrest and convict and sentence the hell out of felons illegally possessing guns and certainly people carjacking people and assaulting them with guns. No, they let them go. Same thing here. Oh, violence against women. Okay, so let's lock up the people doing it. But we don't. 
because you can't add to the prison numbers. Come on, it's a low-level offense, a protective order. That's how they view it. Second story, um, see, this I don't like. This is also from the New York Post. This is a New York case, but they blame it more on the cops, but it's really not the cops' problem. Um, it's, it's the criminal justice system. NYPD showed up to a Harlem nursing student's apartment less than an hour before she was allegedly stabbed to death by her abusive ex-boyfriend because he was trying to break in. Um, basically, Elena Hardy, 27, had filed six previous domestic violence reports against Fernando Munera. By the way, another, whatever, non-white, unwhite crime, but okay. Um, he wound up breaking in through the fire escape, stabbed her multiple times to death. And, you know, again, they blame the police for not dealing with it. But it's really, I mean, the story is that, where is this? I'm trying to find the details here because it's a a long case. But basically, he was already facing charges over a February incident where he allegedly held her prisoner in her apartment, stole her phone to prevent her from calling 911, and destroyed her belongings. See, like... See, this is the thing. Like, they, they they want, like, a Violence Against Women Act, which has crazy stuff in it. But then when you actually have a guy who already has a history, already has a protected here, uh, uh, order, and he doesn't just violate the order, but he literally, like, beats her up and holds her down in an apartment, and they catch him, well, guess what? Prosecutors tried to hold him on bail following his arrest, pointing to his history of domestic incidents, but a judge released him on his own recognizance because state law prohibits jurists from factoring dangerousness into their bail decision. We've talked about this before in New York, um, and this is true in some red states too, they pass this crap. They look at an offense and they're like, eh, low level, low level, you know. Mind you, this is high level. So A, their threshold for low level is insane, but B... It's often, it's a guy that has an insane history. So it's one thing if that's his first thing. But if he's shown a proclivity to violate parole, you got to lock him up. So that's another thing we need. That's our third action item of, of, of the day. We're going to work on, we need laws toughening up pretrial release when someone has a history of violence. And particularly in this case, when they are, locked into one victim in particular coming back to them. Our system has failed women so much. It really has. It's stupid that Republicans and phony conservatives don't steal this issue from the left because they, they're the ones who caused this. Same thing with the gun violence. They are pro-gun violence. I don't have time to get into it today, but there's crazy stories out of Chicago with crazy gun felons being let out. Folks, this notion that our system is too tough on criminals, okay? Let me me explain something to you. The Bureau of Justice Statistics, March 2021 is their latest report on time served in state prison. So they pick a benchmark. 
a year, and the latest year of that study is 2018, where they look at all the people released that year from state prison, so their sentence is over with, and they and they tabulate how long did they serve, and they put together a report, what is the average or median or mean sentence for a particular category conviction, okay? Particular category of conviction. And first, you're going to see from the report that overwhelmingly what is driving the prison population are violent criminals, okay? That's that's the thing. But you look at the time served, and it's truly unbelievable. Do you know what the median sentence for murder is? I'm not talking about non-negligent manslaughter, okay? I'm talking about murder. 17.5 years. So right off the bat, that's where we go wrong. That should be life and preferably, when appropriate, the death penalty. 17.5 years is the median. And again, that was among those released in 2018, meaning that they were sentenced on average roughly around 2,000 or so. That was at the peak of our tough-on-crime era. The people going into the system now being arrested and convicted and sentenced for these crimes, God only knows what that median is going to be in the current years. That will be cut in half easily. That's for murder. And remember, remember, just want you guys to know, 58% of those sentenced for murder serve less than 20 years. 30% serve less than 10 years, and even 15%, not an insignificant number, serve less than five years. So you can't tell me somehow we have an over-incarceration problem. No, we have an under-incarceration and an under-justice problem in this country. Let's move on to violence against women, rape. This is going to shock you. The median... Sentence for rape is 7.2 years. And for the category of other sexual assault, which is often really, really bad, or often they have to like plead down, it's only 3.6 years. 3.6 years. If you look at the numbers, 87% of people committed, um, convicted on rape, straight up rape one. serve less than 20 years, 64% serve less than 10 years, and 38% serve less than 5 years. In my view, a clear-cut case of rape, you know, just especially the ones that, you know, where they leave the woman incapacitated or whatever. I mean, certainly if they get get murdered, then certainly it should be capital punishment. But I really think should be the death penalty. But again, at a minimum, life without parole. Life without parole. So there you have it. For other sexual assaults, 64% 
serve less than five years, 43.5% serve less than three years, and even 31% serve less than two years. And let me tell you, folks, those are habitual. There ain't no rehabilitating those people, okay? And that's not just the child ones. I'm saying even, even for adults. Um, that, that behavior, I mean, someone who has that proclivity, anyone in the criminal justice business will tell you, you're not solving that. So we let them out to reoffend. That needs to change. I, 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 would, I would propose my own Violence Against Women Act. I have to talk with friend, friends about this because if I don't write it, then no one else will. But we need to write our own bill on that because I'm a big fan of that. Just so you know, I, I typically don't like singling out groups, and I'm uh, certainly on race, we always say that, but I think gender is a little bit different, and I think you'd agree with me. I have no problem with the concept of a Violence Against Women Act when framed properly, that someone with proper due process was proven to have done this, uh, that there should be you know, more severe penalties for assaulting a woman um, than a man, you know, I, th- I think you know this this notion of of a, of a man just doing that to a, to a woman taking advantage, um, the asymmetry in terms of strength. I, I think that's something that that I'm very very comfortable with having tougher penalties for, you know, pound per pound, um, relative to other crimes. But you know that's not that's not what the Violence Against Women Act is about. Okay, let's go down the totem pole here. Robbery. Okay, robbery. Median sentence is 3.2 years. 48% serve less than three years. 89% serve less than 10 years. That's also pretty habitual. And again, these are people convicted. Remember, this is a conviction level. It doesn't mean the percentage of people who actually did it served this, this much. No, that's a per, tiny percentage because most of them we don't catch. Then the ones we do catch, we can't land a conviction. If we do, it's it's a lesser crime. They plead down. That's a whole other deal. You have to remember, even without the BS due process, we do have the real due process that makes it unfortunately imperfect that there's just a universe of people we're not going to be able to get. We're not going to be able to catch. We're not going to be able to land a conviction. And the reality is that that means that there's just so many people we're under convicting, not convicting. So again, for every one person you could show me that you believe is over-incarcerated, I'll show you a thousand who are under-incarcerated. So, that's with that. Then there's assault. Now, by by the way, I just want to get to, before assault, just to mention another point here. That I do think we need to recognize, we do need to recognize this, that there are many aspects of our trial system that need to be reformed. It's above my pay grade, but there's due process, but then there's, you know, this is not what our founders meant. And every year the Supreme Court is driving a truck through those loopholes that make it so hard to convict people. And and, and I think a point that's often lost 
is that, yes, we should be catching more people. We should have a stronger deterrent. We should be reaping the benefits of less crime because of technology. We have cameras on every square inch of the universe. The tracking that they we see with the COVID fascism. The, the ability of the FBI to freaking track people down. Obviously, the DNA evidence. We should be getting much higher clearance rates. We should be nailing convictions much closer to the level of what they've done based on the technology we have. It's shocking. See, that, that's another thing. When, when people look at, let's say you have an area, you know, I've said this before. If you just look at the FBI uniform crime data, crime is not going up everywhere. There's some places it might even still be going down or it's stagnant. But let's say, let's say I have, you know, a thousand violent crimes in a certain city in 1980 and I have a thousand violent crimes in 2021. That's not an equal proposition. That means crime is going up, given the technology we have. I mean, in the old days, it was so much easier to get away with this. Remember, there are high-tech crimes, but most crime that we're talking about, murder, um, robbery, rape, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's a low-tech crime, so we have high-tech means of, of catching and deterring them. We should have a lot less of this, and we don't. Let's go down to assault. The median sentence is 1.4 years, and this is really where I think, you know, again, assault is a loaded term. There's there's different things included in it. So you have to know what is included. But, you know, you have times when people beat the heck out of someone. And, and and they've done it multiple times with a multiple, you know, terrible record. When you have people like that, they should be locked up for a long time. But they're not. 96.4% of assault convictions result in less than 10 years. 88% less than 5 years. 76% less than 3 years. 63% less than 2 years. 63% of assault convictions. Remember, a lot of people convic- uh, arrested for assault, they're not convicted for that. Then there's a category of other violent. Other violent, and that's very important. It includes kidnapping, blackmail, extortion, hit and run with injury, and other unknown violent offenses. The median is 1.5. Burglary. The median is just 17. Larceny theft, 11. Motor vehicle theft, 11 months. What about drugs? Drug possession, medium is nine months. Trafficking, 17 months. So this notion that somehow, and and there's very few of them, and increasingly so, but among the ones, and again, these were released in 2018. You can imagine now, this notion that we're somehow flooding the system with drugs is a big, fat lie. There's one more story I want to get to today before we run out of time. We're already over time. Another interesting concept I want you guys to help me research. 
Um, and that is a citizen's grand jury. It's an antiquated law from common law dating back to the British that a lot of southern and western states have. And Kansas has. There's a Washington Post story, um, brand new article from a few days ago. Um, basically, there was this college girl at a Christian liberal arts college in um, in uh, Kansas, Madison Smith. And she, I think, you know, had relations with this person that I think I believe it was consensual, but then in the middle of it, it turned into a rape, and you know the evidence is very clear because she had all the strangulation marks and and she came back you know all beaten up, so it's clearly something did go on there, um, you know because sometimes these cases do get a little tough, uh, just because of of the murkiness of them as opposed to the one where you know someone just grabs someone off the street, so you do have to obviously have due process and be able to prove it. But, you know, it seems pretty, pretty clear here. And, you know, the, the prosecutor is like, look, you know, I have nothing for you. So basically, she invoked this law that they have in Kansas of a citizen grand jury that you could haul someone in front of a grand jury if you get 2% of the county's last vote, you know, the vote tally of, of the last election to sign a petition you could convene a citizen's grand jury and force a prosecution, potentially. Um, so again, if you want to look up the article, it's Washington Post, a prosecutor says no to a rape charge, so a college student calls her own grand jury. Peter Kendall, May 19th of the Washington Post. Um, I know a lot of southern states have this. This is something we need to keep in mind as a Liberty Strike Force team action item um, to you know where where people escape justice. Now, really, there's other things I think we need to start doing as well over time. But you know, you know what I mean. Um, look, I mean, obviously, you don't want you know you want you want a, a system, but if the system's broken, what are you supposed to do? Our system is broken. Yet here we have Jerome Smith, Jared Kushner, and Trump's jailbreak guy writing. Uh, op-ed with that piece of garbage, Alice Johnson, that drug trafficker that showed no remorse that was let out and is agitating to let out every last person, saying that all the COVID jailbreak people paid their debt and they shouldn't be reincarcerated after COVID. This is what we have in the so-called conservative movement. It is shocking. But I, for one, will not remain silent. We are going to go on a crusade on behalf of victims of crime. Came up with a couple of action items today. We're going to cover these stories more. Folks, that's why you listen. We are not just a talk show. We are not just for entertainment and information. We are a movement. Sign up at conaction.network to sign up for a state Liberty Strike Force team. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.